Are you looking for intellectual and personal enrichment, vocational development, or spiritual growth? Atlantic School of Theology offers a range of graduate and diploma programs as well as continuing education events. Learning opportunities via online, hybrid, and on-campus formats are all available, so you can study on campus in Halifax, Nova Scotia, or from anywhere in the world. For more information, visit astheology.ns.ca. Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Faith Forward podcast. I'm Dave Sinis, and I want to begin by thanking the sponsor of this episode, Atlantic School of Theology. I have the privilege and joy of teaching at AST, and I invite you to check it out at astheology.ns.ca. You can learn about uh, hybrid and online diplomas, degrees, and continuing education classes in all sorts of fields related to theology and ministry. So huge thank you to Atlantic School of Theology for supporting the Faith Forward podcast. And now I am very pleased to introduce our guest for today. Jerome Berryman hardly needs an introduction. He is the creator of Godly Play and served for many years as the executive director of the Godly Play Foundation. And he's also the founding director of the Center for the Theology of Childhood, which is the research arm of the Godly Play Foundation. He's written several books about godly play and about theology of childhood, including Becoming Like a Child and The Spiritual Guidance of Children. Jerome, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a great pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. I look forward to a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you uh, begin by telling us uh, a little bit about how godly play was created? How How did the idea come about? And and uh, how did it eventually become what, what, uh, what it is today? It began about 1960. And um, in Stuart Hall at Princeton Theological Seminary, um, the professor was Campbell Wyckoff. And he was really a, a, a wonderful leading professor in, in the field in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, I got so upset in the seminar we were sharing that um, I didn't really know exactly why I was upset. Right. But I, I was, and I didn't know what to do and and just acted out, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. disturbed the class. It was, it was, I, I'm glad I can't remember exactly all that went on. <laughs> it <laughs> might be very yeah. embarrassing. But Wyckoff was a wise professor, and, and um, he 
he got the dean, Dean Homerighausen, to um, require me to have a, a, a tutorial with, with him instead of taking the class, which was required. It was okay. a three-hour requirement for graduation having to do with Christian education. Right. And in that in that seminar, uh, he he required me. This is all this is all good. He required <laughs> me to um, write my own the my own uh, view of Christian education. Right. Because he 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 understood, and he'd had other students like Jim Loader that had had kind mm -hmm. of done the same thing. So he kind of knew what to do with the, this kind of person, and and. And for me, that was uh, life changing uh, because someone had paid attention to me, which we all need, yeah. and, and had, had um, respected whatever it was that I was trying to say that was mostly blocked by the emotions. And mm -hmm. what, uh, as I look back on it, what I think was going on was that the idea and, and this is what I heard. This may not even have been what was being taught. This is what I heard. That uh, Christian education, that's the old terminology, but Christian education was a matter of convincing children uh, to become Christians. Right. And it was very cognitive. And, and of course, the Bible stories and all that was, was taught. But a lot of it was taught as a um, source or a proof source for kinds of theology, for doctrines. Right. And, um, and that just drove me crazy. I didn't know why. Uh, part of the reason was because when I was growing up, I there never was a time when I didn't know that God was there. Mm -hmm. And so um, in my own experience, Nobody had to convince me to become a Christian, right. uh, I or to to that God was there, but um, God was just there. And when I played, you know, with my pets and wandering around this this wonderful place where I grew up, we lived next door to my grandmother and, and my mm. aunt and uncle lived behind us, and and the church was on one corner and the school was on another corner. Kind of mm -hmm. everything was right there and very safe. So I just, I was just gone most of the day playing outside. And in that experience, God was just always there. The right. question was, what happens? What I had trouble with was, was connecting the God of power that I knew when I was playing in nature and the church God. Mm-hmm. Church God being the one you, you you get dressed up and you go there at a certain time or right. a certain place and that's where God is. Except that was that's one was one kind of God I experienced. Yeah. And the, the other kind of God was something else. It was almost like uh, I, I would say my prayers in the evening, and then after my mom was gone, you would mm -hmm. listen to the prayers. Um, then I prayed to the God of power who mm -hmm. was uh, and said, you know, protect me during the night and, and things like that. Uh, but, but not, I wasn't repeating words that other people had taught me to say. Mm -hmm. 
prayer, I was praying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and uh, it was astonishing. I can still remember the, the time when the two, the, the church God and the God of power got connected. It was on an Easter Sunday. And I uh, went, as we often did, to my grandmother's for Sunday roast, they called it and roast and potatoes and carrots and lots of family was there. We went out in, into the backyard by the barn. This was a rural community. And right. my, um, my aunts and uncles and cousins were there. there was, we had a, a really big garden, which everybody worked on together. And I, I could feel the throbbing energy of spring in that garden as the things were beginning to come up they were beginning to show above the ground and i and i i didn't tell anyone this but i thought that's what we were just doing mm. over there in the church right we were appreciating we were um, giving thanks for the gift of of this creative energy that mm -hmm. is everywhere in mm -hmm. nature and and also in the church in the ch where the church god lives and so right, right. the church god and the god of power uh i, I began to realize they were the same well that's yeah. the, the source of the idea in godly play that uh let's just assume that children already know god right and um so, so what what is the problem? What, the the problem only occurs when we try to force force that knowledge they already have into some kind of inappropriate um, verbal um, construct. Yeah. And so, what what I spent the next fifteen years trying to figure out was how do you do Christian education without distorting that original experience, that original vision of, of the presence of the mystery of God. Mm. Because often, um, and I think a lot of us have, have experienced this too, what happens in, in church or in Sunday school is that that is not respected and it is destroyed by the way that, that the language is taught. Yes. So what I was trying to figure out was how to language that experience mm -hmm. without destroying it. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, and the uniqueness in each person. And so it took 15 years to figure out what, what to do. Um, we were, our girls, uh, Thea, Thea, my wife, who died in 2009, was very much interested in all this. Yeah. And the, the day that I finally figured out what direction to go was uh, we were we were in a really good mon our girls were in a really good Montessori school, mm -hmm. and they they did not try to sell Montessori to the people who came and said they were interested. They mm -hmm. they had built an observation room with mm -hmm. with away glass, and um, they said just go watch. And then come back and we'll talk. And and I was watching the children and our girls, and, and uh, they were working on things, but they were um, self 
pretty much, they were self-directed in the sense they could make choices between constructive alternatives. Right. They weren't just set loose to, to go crazy and run around. Right. Or, <laughs> Montessori would never stand for that. But they could choose between constructive alternatives. And those constructive alternatives were laid out in sensorial materials around the room. And, and the, the Montessori materials are a way to learn learn things like um, adding and subtracting and how the yeah. how the decimal system works and all that with your hands, with your senses yeah. and 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 on your own initiative. So that when when you learn something uh, or somebody who's not in that classroom, when you learn it, they'll say, well, where did you learn that? And the beautiful thing, this is this is kind of um, a Montessori moment. The child mm -hmm. would, will say, I don't know. Right. I guess I thought myself. And that was the goal. And that's very appropriate for people to learn uh, how to language what they already know about God. Yeah. Their relationship that already exists. It started in 1960 and, and yeah. really... Uh, it went, this search went on to 74. Yeah. And in the meantime, I had I had graduated from law school. I had our family had moved to Italy to study Montessori after after the 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 insight that that's the direction we ought to go. And um so all kinds of and I I, yeah. I was a Presbyterian minister and and yeah. all that and had and was in parishes and, and uh taught in a in a, in a boarding school with 900 high school boys and coached basketball and track and did all the things you do in a, um, a boarding school. And, but, but it took a long time for this to kind of crystallize mm -hmm. and get named as godly play. Mm -hmm. it, and it strikes me that the, the impetus you go back to when you were a seminary student um, is that, that idea of, um, someone respecting your views and wanting you to flesh them out for yourself. I mean, that is really at the heart of godly play as well. So I imagine a lot of our listeners know what godly play is, use it, love it. Um, some might not know what it is. Uh, we get listeners from different parts of the world and different traditions and I, I always um, struggle to sometimes describe godly play when someone asks me what it is if I'm teaching a course or something. If someone asks me, well, what is this godly play? I struggle because it's, 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 it's not like explaining a curriculum. It's a different approach entirely. So I would love to put it to you. Um, how, how would you describe godly play for people who uh, aren't familiar with it yet? Well, I think the heart of the matter is that what is is learned is the art of how to make meaning, mm -hmm. existential meaning about life and death with Christian language. Right. So it's like teaching other kinds of art. And um, in fact, in, in, in Houston, we, we had a, 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 a Gandhi play class on Saturdays and we, we charged as much for that that sounds funny, maybe, but that's that's how we made it work. Right. We charge as much for the for learning the art of how to make meaning 
working with Christian language as the very best ballet schools, art yeah. schools, all the stuff for art that was going on with kids. Um, Godly play is is teaching an art of how to make meaning with Christian language. Mm. Um, so so how do you how do you do that? Um, let me describe kind of what happens. That's probably better than than trying to say something about a theory. Let's let's just mm -hmm. talk about what happens. Um, children come to a room, and in that room there are uh, are materials that represent parables, sacred stories. Um, things having to do with liturgical action and contemplative silence. So these are the, there are many, many different kinds of Christian language, right. um, but but those four are the ones that are on the four walls of, of, the, uh, of the godly playroom. Uh, there is on one wall, um, the art materials and some things like that, but the, um, um, the child comes to the door and there is someone sitting at the doorway uh, in, a little, in a little chair so they can look, so the adult can look at the child at, at the same, at the eye level of the child. Mm -hmm. The child is, is asked, um, are you ready? Yeah. And, and I, I just think it's astonishing because somehow children actually, they know what you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, the uh, and if they're not ready, why then they just kind of wait till they are, and someone else will go by, and they'll be obviously ready. Well, what being ready is is being ready to walk into the room and open yourself up to what is in that room, which is the mystery of the presence of God and and the mystery of the presence of the children in the circle and this mm -hmm. incredible language that's all around them, which is to help them make meaning. Mm -hmm. So they come in and the, there are two adults in the room, the person by the door and the, and the person who's sitting uh, in, in the circle in front of a, the, shelf, the main shelf in the room, which has um, things about um, liturgical action right. uh, on it. But that's the place where the storyteller sits. That's where the circle forms. And it forms at, and right in the middle of that shelf is kind of the core metaphor of the Christian language system. Because what the children are learning are not just this or that story. They're learning how to use the whole language. Yes. Uh, the whole language system. As it as it works, so that by the time if it, if this all goes in an optimal way, by the time they're adolescents, they will have internalized the whole Christian language system, mm -hmm. and so in a way that it can continue to develop. Yeah. Okay. So so there we are in the circle, and and this is this illustrates what I mean. So the storyteller gets up and goes to the sh to one of the shelves. Let's say they go to the parable shelf and they get the parable of the mustard seed. Well, sitting on the top of that shelf are, are six guiding parables where you kind of learn how to do parables. And, and they're in gold boxes with lids on them. And you mm -hmm. bring that and you set it down. Well, wait a minute. Look, 
what just happened? The storyteller went to a part of the room where a part of Christian language was sitting on a shelf. Yes. And brought it to the circle. And at the end of this, that person is going to put it back. And so the child is learning that this is part of a larger system. Mm -hmm. And it's a parable which comes from the parable shelf. And mm -hmm. stories are stories too, but they come from the sacred story shelf. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't um, kind of push you into uh, wondering quite so much as a parable does. They're more yes. stability. And, uh, and liturgical action kind of combines those two things with the use of symbols. So the story is told. Uh, and um, then you begin to wonder. I wonder what, what this could really be. You know, in general, lots of wondering questions that uh, that can that do happen, and the children contribute to that. And and even for the older children, you can put one parable next to another parable, or a parable next to a sacred story, or a parable next to some something from liturgical action, like the 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 material for um, getting ready to come close to the mystery of Easter, something mm -hmm. like that. And, and so, so the language begins to really function. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. Now, the structure of the class of the, of the Gandhi play session is, um, is this is divided into two parts, like the Holy Eucharist, where there's liturgy of, of the word and the liturgy of Holy Communion. Right. And so, what I've just described is, is presenting a parable and wondering about it. That's kind of the liturgy of, of the word. And then when that's finished, the children uh, get, they go, as soon as they can tell you, as it's tell the storyteller what, what they're going to work on, they get up and they go and get art materials and begin to make an art response to that. Mm -hmm. So now we've, we've shifted from what is mostly language We've shifted more into what is mostly symbols and nonverbal communication, like yeah. in, in the in the uh, liturgy of Holy Communion, and and um, when that's finished, then the child has made a, a response to to the day, or a response to something in their life that they really need to express with art. Then we put all that away. And then we have a feast, which is very simple, and, uh, and just some juice or, and some cookies or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and while we're sitting in the circle and visiting and enjoying it, uh, sometimes we'll sing, sometimes we'll um, uh, learn something like the Lord's Prayer that we can say. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of those things that you really need to know by heart mm -hmm. as part of the language system. And... Uh, then there is the goodbye, and the, and the goodbye is really, really important, I think. Um, when the parents come to the door, when we're sitting in the circle waiting to have a soft closure to all through the day, um, the person by the door will say a child's name because the parent is there. 
that child gets up and walks to the storyteller who's sitting on the floor. Okay, well, this is one of the moments in this whole process. Uh, the child is going to be, in most cases, taller than the adult who's sitting on the floor. Absolutely. One of, the, one of those moments when uh, the, the power differential between the adult and the child is dissolved. Mm -hmm. There are lots of moments like that in the room, but that, that's an important kind of thing. And the storyteller says things, oh, I saw you really working. This was amazing. Uh, what you made in, in the, the uh, we're not going to, we're not going to try to, we're going to try not to evaluate. We're going to try to affirm the child. Right. I, saw, I saw that your painting was so blue. Yes, right, right. <laughs> and, 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 but not saying it's really good art and you should, you're, you're going to be, in a, we're not teaching art. We're teaching uh, the, we're teaching another kind of art, not, not yes. the art of painting. We're teaching the art of making meaning. And to, the art of making meaning needs a kind of affirmation that is not based on, on how good you are at your art. It was so blue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then like, like the blessing that comes at the end of a, of a church service, and this is kind of a, a semi-blessing, you, you, just, you just say it was so wonderful to see you. Mm -hmm. And then the child kind of skips out of the room and goes and joins yeah. the, the parent. And, and, and that's, that's, the, the, uh, that's the end of, that, of, of the session. Yes. To go back and reflect on the session a little bit, um, each one of those moments where a child's authentic self is celebrated and, and not squashed by trying to ram some kind of uh, predetermined self onto that child. And here I'm talking about Winnicott, uh, mm -hmm. so the British psych psychiatrist that, uh, that it is so important to try to bring out the child's uh, authentic self instead of mm -hmm. a general kind of label onto the child. And, right. and each moment of that kind of process, which is delicate, um, but very much part of, of the way the, the session goes. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the two adults in the room are also having their own authentic self reinforced. Right. And if it, it's almost like you become like a child to understand this process. Mm -hmm. But when you become like a child, then like like uh, Jesus said, then you then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Uh, the, the for the adult as well as the children. Now the trick is that if you do this, suppose you suppose you really want to enter the kingdom of heaven as an adult. So you become a godly play uh, storyteller. Mm -hmm. Because you want to enter the kingdom and you think that this is the way that will work. And if you do it for that purpose, it won't work. Mm -hmm. You need to be in the room, working with the children, teaching them the art and supporting their authenticity. Or you, you won't become like a child in that theological sense. Yes. 
in that yes. it's fascinating, I think. And yeah. I've seen it happen. And and I was lucky because I I didn't I wasn't even thinking about becoming like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. I was just mm -hmm. so fascinated with the kids that I never yeah. got off on the wrong track. Uh, yeah. but I have seen people do that. That serves a, a perfect segue to a, to a question I, I've always wanted to ask you, um, and, and even more so because there's a, a book recently published, of course, you know, I, I believe you wrote the foreword to it called uh, Godly Play in Middle and Late Childhood. And of course, Godly Play is uh, more focused on, on younger children. Um, so there's this, this, this book about middle and late childhood, um, and I, I know people who've experimented with godly play with adults and in intergenerational settings. So what is it about this approach that um, is so worthwhile for people of all sorts of ages? Because it, it must be because people keep expanding the, the, the boundaries of, of who it's used with. Um, I, I resist the... Um the idea that of course godly play is for young children right <laughs> it is it is for any age really. yes and and uh, the most the, the most fascinating part is is especially in late childhood where the children now have the skills that they can ask and we and debate incredible questions that you wouldn't think mm. that children would ask or have anything to talk about Especially because they've developed the language, they have developed to, to do language. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and but it was really fun. Just before Thea died, the last couple of years, we were able to teach. We were teaching uh, young children, three to six, and mm -hmm. and um, and it was really fun because what you're doing there is laying into their experience the way that the room works. And the way that you get out your materials, the way that you put them away, you're just laying at all these little pieces of behavior so that in middle childhood, that begins to, to function as, a, as, a, as a, a way to connect their more developed meaning now that they can read and write mm -hmm. uh, with what still with what they knew as preschoolers uh, and this kind of mysterious non-specific vague experience of the presence of the mystery of god now it's mm. beginning to take shape uh, with as they learn the language but first they need they need all these little pieces of behavior that can help them and you we, we could call it i suppose classroom management or all that stuff right how the class works uh so that that's nat that's natural to them they don't, they don't have to do that anymore so they get the middle childhood and all that's functioning, so they they are able to to really begin to shift from uh, let's say how the room works to the presence of the mystery of God in the room. That mm -hmm. gives them the creative power to connect with with the creative power that flows out from the mystery of God. Mm -hmm. So then then when you get uh, to the older children. Um, oh, is that's that's really the most fun, but it's also the moment when people make the biggest mistake with country play. I, I went back to uh, I won't say where, 
but I went back to a place where Thea and I had had taught the, the fourth and fifth graders for 10 years. It was a well-developed program. We had about 250 kids or more, I think more. Um, this, that seems too big. I think there were 350, but that seems too big. But, but, I, um, but we had eight, eight beautiful Gandhi play classrooms in, in an right. education building. And and uh, went back and and uh, the 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 clergy and the uh, educators were assembled there and uh, and and to to bring a, a long story make a long story short the uh, the dean of this place um, this is an Episcopal church by that time I was an Episcopal priest right and, um, um, said Jerome we have a philosophical difference with you. Uh, Godly play does not work for older children. Hmm. And I said, well, that's strange because in this very same place, Thea and I taught the fourth and fifth graders for 10 right. years. And right. it was a, 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 a really good experience because at the beginning, there wasn't a single child in the whole church school who knew anything about godly play. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the 10 years, they didn't know anything else. So yes. we worked with this whole range of, of children growing up with godly play or not growing up. And it, it always seemed to work for us. What had happened, and this often happens, is that because the older children seem like they're talking more like adults, uh, you think anybody could teach them. All you have to do is go in and, and, and hmm. teach a Sunday school. <laughs> right. Yeah. The trouble is that the children know more scripture than the adults do. Right. And they know more about how to make meaning with yeah. the difference between parables and sacred stories and liturgical action material and the importance of listening in between the words for the silence. They know all right. that kind of stuff and the adult doesn't. So they just, they just it's not successful because the yeah. adult is not prepared. And to put this another way, is the, the the mentors for the older children just don't have the, they're not equipped. They, they need, more than anybody else, early, middle, and late childhood, they need to really have been to, to godly play trainings for older children, and, and they need to go several times mm -hmm. with maybe with different different um, um, teachers, uh, you know, teachers of, uh, for this adult situation. It, it, people go, go to a training once and they think they've got it, but they, mm -hmm. it would be really smart to go back to another training with a different trainer mm -hmm. to see how that works until you begin to internalize this. It's like any art, it's like any sport. Um, you you got to really get the skills. You've got to yes. know how to do that. And the other problem is you really need to know some scripture because mm -hmm. the kids do. Mm -hmm. And and uh, not only do they know it, but they know it as part of a larger language system because mm -hmm. they've seen every time they've been there, they've seen the lesson go back into the lar into the system, language system comes from mm -hmm. that and it goes back into that. So they've got this incredible internalization of the whole language system that the adult probably doesn't have. Mm -hmm. 
So often it's a setup. It's a setup for disaster for the adult and the children. And then, uh, I just love it. What happens then is just what this person said. Jerome, we have a philosophical difference. Godly play doesn't <laughs> work for older children. Well, that's because the, the, nobody was prepared to really help bring the children along to that that much um, much more sophisticated and language yes. kind of use of, of that. And you really need that because if the goal of godly play is for kids to go into adolescence with a a fully developed and working uh, internalization of the God, of the uh, Christian language system. Right, right. And if they do that, um, at the um, the youth work the youth work is very different mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you don't have to do re- remedial stuff. You don't have to mm-hmm. try to, <laughs> right. you don't have to need to, you don't need to teach them language. They've got that, and so yeah. it doesn't hang so much on the social part of it. It hangs. The kids really want to to go deeper, and yes. they want to go deeper at this new level where they're they're thinking about this. There were in a in Covington, uh, Louisiana. There is a school at, at the Episcopal uh, Church there, a, a well developed, widely respected school. And when and the kids started in that school with with godly play, and the children um, demanded. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's too strong a word. That when they got to middle school, they got to continue godly play, and because what what was being taught them is you know by by the chaplain was um, or by the religion teacher was they knew all that. What yeah. they wanted to do was to develop their ability to use this this powerful language that is so creative that uh, it changes us and. And the world that we live in. Yes. So, so on the heels of that comment about about change and and changing the world and 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 um, continuing to live in this world as as it goes forward, it has been almost fifty years then since you really started Godly Play. Um, where where do you see it going? Like, what where do you think the 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 edges and the new horizons are for uh, for Godly Play? Oh, this this has really been astonishing. Um, Thea and I did this just because we we like we enjoyed doing it, and yeah. we enjoyed the children we were working with, and and then people started looking over our shoulders and trying to figure out what we were doing, why we were having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> want to be part of that too. Yeah, and and uh, and over time, almost in spite of myself. Um, because I just wanted to work with the kids, and so mm-hmm. there wasn't a, there wasn't any kind of uh, program about developing godly play or spreading godly play. All that just kind of happened, and um, but it's all over the world now. And yeah. uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, just recently, um, well, two things. One, uh, the Godly Play Foundation was just. Um, awarded a, a million dollar research grant from Lilly Endowment. Wow. Research about the uh, uh, what the children really need. One of the things that, that the preliminary research showed was that a lot of parents really, really want something 
solid and and useful mm-hmm. for their children's spirituality and they're just not quite sure they're going to find that in a church yeah yeah and they also can't find it anywhere else there's a lot of stuff that is kind of outside of the church that is promote and promoting their ability to do the development of children's spirituality but it, it's it's not very good either mm-hmm. so so what we want to do is examine what what people are looking for because in many cases they're looking for the right thing and they just can't find it and so that's yeah. that's what we want to do another th- another thing about the global part of, of Gandhi play is that uh, just this last week in Belgium, uh, the uh, European conference for Gandhi play took place. Okay. And there were people from all over Europe. There is a lot of Gandhi play in Eastern Europe. Mm. The, uh, the conference, the European conference before this one was, before COVID, was in Lithuania on the Baltic Sea. Mm-hmm. And so all, all over Eastern Europe and in Russia and in Ukraine, there, there is Gandhi play. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, I'm very proud to say that some of those Gandhi play rooms have been turned into places for refugees from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Makes, mm-hmm. So that's, that's Gandhi play too. Absolutely. It, it's um, just astonishing. What's happening in Hong Kong is, is kind of horrifying and, but Gandhi play is there. It's just everywhere. Um, uh, let's let's just the week before the conference in Belgium, there was a Gandhi play training in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And South Korea, the training was done by by um, Andrew Sheldon and Amy, his wife, and uh, they're from Canada. Yeah. The other trainer. Uh, it, it took part in this training was from Australia, mm-hmm. so we had had a kind of of um, Asian experience led by people from other parts of the world. Right. And some of the parts you can't read. Where do you put Australia? It's not exactly Asian, is it? And it's not exactly right. Western. It's, it's but there is a lot of godly play in Australia. Absolutely. The um, it, it is just extraordinary and. In fact, the book Gandhi Play has been translated into Korean some years mm-hmm. ago. And mm-hmm. and for this conference, they translated teaching Gandhi Play into mm-hmm. Korean. Um, and and then Andrew uh, came back to the Belgium conference, and now he's in in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to France, because this is kind of the French-speaking part of, of Gandhi Play. And uh, the book's written about Gandhi play in French too, which is uh, um, astonishing. Yeah. There's even Gandhi play, uh, there's a lot of Gandhi play in Africa. Uh, and uh, there Gandhi play lessons are in in, uh, in some of the languages from in Africa. Um, a lot of that is being led by people in South Africa. It, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, other people, not me anymore, but other people are really up on that, and Andrew Sheldon is is um, is um, the person that is kind of our international representative yeah. uh, from from the Gandhi Play Foundation. You, yeah. you need to ask Andrew about the international <laughs> work. Um, yeah, and, and, and of course, the, as it's the same uh, way, I'm not involved in that research about um, about the children. The, yeah. the, that Lily Endowment is gracious and supporting. Uh, um, goodness, that 
<laughs> that is the Heather, the new director of, of the Gonda Clay Foundation and Cheryl yeah. Miner that are, are leading that. And, uh, and they both have PhDs in children's spirituality and research. Absolutely. So, so we are, we're really equipped to, to do this work and, and to, and to support when, when it seems appropriate and that we're invited to support seminaries that almost never have anything about children's spirituality. So mm -hmm. we're in a good position to help with that. And, and uh, but that's what we do. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's still really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, as it's translated into different languages and as new people um, engage in new research, right? Like the, 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 we communicate the Christian language through our human languages yeah. and, and through nonverbal communication as well. Um, and so I imagine that all these little nuances and, 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 um, uh, gradual, not, not changes, but, but there are little ways I'm sure that godly play remains consistent yet uh, adaptive to um, different times and contexts, and it will continue to do that. Yeah, and one of the interesting things to me about that is, uh, say, um, um, you're you're going to to you're going to present the idea of the parable of the good shepherd to mm -hmm. somebody where there are no sheep, right? And 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 missionaries tried all kinds of things. They in, in one in, in Southeast Asia, they, they talked about the, the person who takes care of the elephants. Yes. And, and, uh, and because that connection between the elephant and the person who takes care of the elephant and, and, and guides the elephant to help with construction and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, that that's, a, that's a sort of connection. Mm -hmm. What we've really learned is, I think, is that what you need to do is just present the parable of the Good Shepherd in the mm -hmm. regular godly play way. Because when you lay all those physical things out on the underlay, uh, which is green, uh, that um, the relationships between the parts of the parable that you can experience physically, yes. um, that's, you don't need to translate that into a different yes. metaphor. And so I, I can see, I, I've often urged people in Finland to try this out because there's a lot of godly play in Finland, Scandinavia, Norway too. Well, oh, it's just, anyway, I, I have um, asked, asked them if someday they would go up and, and present the parable of the Good Shepherd to people in Lapland mm -hmm. where there's nothing but snow and ice and reindeer. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I bet that, that they would understand it as it's yeah. laid out on on the underlay because yeah. it's 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 not so much in what you can see it's in between it's the re, it's the invisible part between the relationships of what you can see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's all there in in, mm -hmm. in the way it, and they just you just don't you just give up on trying to turn it into something that you're familiar with you just let it be Mm -hmm. And you might, yeah, I've never seen a sheep, but you can kind of get that when it, you experience it with all your senses. Yes. 
Yes, you learn what the metaphor is also by engaging with the metaphor itself. Yeah. 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 If you can get inside that metaphor, it's going to work. Yeah. And and you don't have to have seen the sheep. The sheep are there. The sheep mm -hmm. are on the, on the underlay. Right. <laughs> You're moving them around and the sheepfold is there and the, the it, it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this has been a delightful and rich and fascinating conversation. And I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to, to speak with me about the roots of godly play, where it is now, where it's moving. Um, I, I can't wait to um, continue to see how, how Heather Ingersoll and, and, and others um, and Andrew Sheldon and, and others continue to, Cheryl Miner. Uh, that's right. That's right. Continue yes. to, um, you know, um, carry on the, the legacy that, uh, that, that is godly play. Um, thank you again for joining me and, uh, thank you to Atlanta school of theology for sponsoring, um, this episode. You're very, very welcome. What fun. Thanks for tuning in to the faith forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.